0: Hello! We're back! Remember us? It's the Olympopod, and now, in winter form! Yes, as we're building up to Beijing 2022, we're going to shift our focus, looking back at the history of the Winter Olympics. We're moving into the land of the Jamaican bobsleigh team, of Tonya Harding, and lots and lots of Norwegians. Thought we didn't know a lot about the Summer Games? Just wait until you hear us now. We begin... Back in 1924, and Chamonix...
1: that tune again <laughs> hello Ruth we're back we're back um after about six weeks of us saying that we were about to do this um we uh didn't but that's okay some things you can't rush and our genius is something that can't be rushed <laughs> but yeah we had a bit of winter sports already at these games and we have talked about it because uh of course 1908 we had a bit of skating but um, there was fierce opposition to the inclusion of uh, official Winter Games in the Olympic schedule um, because of those pesky Nordics who wanted the Nordic Games all for themselves.
0: Yeah, they sure did. And, and the Nordic Games was brilliantly uh, an effort to bolster uh, Swedish sentiment and tourism, which is, of course, why you do anything. And the Nordic Games, um, well, they were, they were basically the winter olympics before the winter olympics were the winter olympics they uh, didn't necessarily just feature nordic competitors and uh, they had snow and ice related sports and also a bunch of cultural events on the side like theater opera and uh, swedish folklore so yeah it was a it was a great uh, it was a <laughs> it was a great uh, swedish tourist boost and my research into the nordic games which began in 1906 am i right yeah sure. uh, no no yeah. uh-huh. 1901 <laughs> 1901 uh, and then 1903 and 1905 then every 4 years after that until 1926 uh, one of the sports in 1901 was uh, skioring with reindeer
1: it's fantastic <laughs> I don't like I don't I don't even need it to explain. Like yeah. it's just it's just it's it's a very visual uh name and yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um I know I want horses out of the summer games, but let's bring back reindeers to the winter. Oh,
0: yeah. Well. Uh they also had ski jumping, downhill racing, cross country skiing, skeleton. Back then, which uh, as as terrifying as that seems nowadays. <laughs> God knows how terrifying that seemed back in the early uh, 1900s.
1: What uh, was the mortality rate?
0: Well, <laughs> well, we get to mortality. Well, not no mortality, but uh, the injuries later in the podcast, I'm pretty certain. Also, uh, figure skating, hockey, which uh, was the term used for bandy as they play it up around these parts and uh, curling. And they also had some non-winter sports in the Nordic Games like fencing, swimming and long distance equestrian ride.
1: Hmm. Um, One of the interesting things was in the 1912 Summer Games uh, Stockholm, the Organising Committee refused to have any winter um, events because they claimed it couldn't host any due to the lack of facilities.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They actually said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. Saying <laughs> as saying as the actual like uh, uh, traditional home of the Nordic Games was Stockholm.
1: Yeah, um, they said they didn't have a mountain, which you know, fair enough. But you know, it's not the first time that some of the events have to be t- taking place somewhere else.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and they really did try hard to to keep Winter Games away, but the Nordic Games didn't actually grow to the extent that they hoped it to and uh, it was really Victor Balk who was the uh, driving force behind it while hilariously also being the vice president of the IOC at the time <laughs> and it was the the Nord- Norwegian Ski Federation uh, in 1914 who uh, started to offer the the prospect uh, of the Winter Games and, and breaking away from their fellow Nordics. And uh, they supported the idea of actually having a Winter Games in conjunction with the Games in Berlin in 1916, which, well, didn't happen for uh, very obvious reasons. And if you don't know those obvious reasons, listen back to the 1916 Olympopod.
1: Exactly. Uh, do you know who loved winter sports?
0: Pierre de Coubertin.
1: Pierre de Coubertin. He, he loved it almost as much as he hated women. Um, he just felt they embodied the true amateur athletic nature of the Olympics, calling them so pure in their sporting dignity. And he got his wish and also his whim for France to host this week of cold sporting triumphs. Um, not at Olympic Games in 1924. They'd have to wait a year to be retrospectively called the Winter Games. It was just then a week of fun and frolics in the snow and ice.
0: Well, was it though? Was it it was wasn't, not just no. The, was that not just part of the, the whole uh, play with the Norwegians to screw them over?
1: I couldn't possibly comment, Chris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because Norway actually wanted to have the both the summer and the winter games uh, for 1924 uh, before they decided actually that would demand too much of their community, uh, the athletic community. Uh, France were happy to take it on both of them in different parts of the country. And um, then all of a sudden, the Skiing Federation in Norway, which had uh, previously been in support of it, uh, changed board. And all of a sudden, they supported the Swedes in being against it. And they were... um, They basically only took part in the week of Winter Games because the French agreed not to call it Olympic. However... If you have a look at any of the film footage or pictures, you'll see Olympics everywhere. and uh, <laughs> It's just
1: advertising, Chris. It's just advertising the Paris Games. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Precisely. And uh, yeah, so the Norwegians, although they hammered everybody in every competition, almost uh, were not very happy that uh, they had the, the carpet pulled underneath them.
1: Yeah. Now, you say France is ready. Um, but Chamonix, one of the first issues they had to address was that the resort town had uh, three thousand hotel beds, and they were expecting twenty 000 to thirty thousand visitors. Um, I've not really been able to find out how they did manage this. There's a lot of talk of like asking private households to open up their doors. They push um, beds in hallways of hotels and. The, the best thing that they did was they had a uh, train that went straight to Chamonix, and they also had uh, twice-a-day shuttles from towns nearby.
0: Okay. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. Well, they were expecting that many, or that many actually showed up? Because the gate receipts were very uh, disappointing in the end. Well, so the, maybe- the,
1: well the, gate, the gate receipts were okay, um, it's just they were all free tickets, and
0: you <laughs> well, know there's, there's no gator seats. Then.
1: <laughs> uh, like you know, it's it's considered a great success this uh, Olympics, as long as you don't uh, take into account the financial aspect of it, which was a complete and utter failure. And I don't know. I'm not going to comment on whether that's foreshadowing. Uh, every future winter olympics i don't know chris i don't know
0: we actually don't know we'll find out as we go <laughs> what was your favorite of the games? so maybe we should run through because there's not an awful lot of actual winter olympic competitions uh, in the present day or back then mm. so let's have a quick Which, do you know what, through. chris
1: there's a lot to be said for having a tight schedule do you know yeah Just nice and tight. Is that
0: how you feel uh, a few months after these uh, summer games?
1: No. No. (laughs) Well, no, but no, I I would like a tight schedule in terms of the number of sports, but, you know, also have 10 more days of weightlifting, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Anyway, Anyway. bobsleigh, bobsleigh, curling, ice hockey, skating, uh, which was figure skating and speed skating... Uh, There was Nordic skiing, uh, which included military military patrol, which I'm very intrigued to go into at some point, cross-country skiing, Nordic combined, and ski jumping. So short and sweet.
1: Yeah. I can take or leave uh, Bobsleigh. (gasps) Um, I love speed skating. I think it's brilliant. I've already put inline skating forward as a summer game. And yeah, I just think speed skating is the way to go. Me and myself, personally. And of course, that was the first event at uh, these games.
0: Tell us about it.
1: Well, the first gold of the event, it went to Team USA's Charles Jutro in the 500 meter speed skate. As I said, I love a speed skate. And so did the crowds in Chamonix, with reports that his furious start led to gasps from the crowd both he and his teammate Joe Moore used a peculiar swinging arm style in their skating, which left the Swedish, Norwegian and Finnish coaches gaping. And uh, which resulted in a lot more people taking up this unusual method of propulsion right up to this very day. (laughs) So (laughs) I would like to know what it was that up to this point the Nordics were doing. Like, did they have their hands behind their back? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. They didn't...
0: uh, They did show some of the speed skating in the official film, which was a lovely 37-minute jaunt. However, I can't remember any very unusual uh, speed skating style, so maybe they just didn't include the incredibly slow Scandies (laughs) Uh, And fins.
1: Um, Fins.
0: (laughs) Nordics. Nordics. Nordics.
1: Um, I read in a Time article that he was considered so much of the underdog in this event. But then I went on to read um, on the Lake Placid Legacy Sites homepage that Charles had never lost a race in his junior career and that in the 1919 uh, Eastern Championships, he won every single heat and race um, and set multiple records. He is a big hero in Lake Placid, Chris. They love him there. They love him. He died on the 26th of January, 1996, exactly 72 years after he'd won his gold on the 26th of January,
0: 1924. Hmm. Uh, you, I just, on the speed skating and slow Nordics, as you corrected me, I think it's not fair to include the Finns in this. I think we're going to have to say slow Scandies because the person who won the most medals at these games was a Finnish speed skater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Klaus Thunberg, who... One bronze in that 500 meters, and then gold in the 1500, 5000, the all-round men, and the uh, silver in the 10,000 meters. So not that slow. Not that slow. Yeah. And uh, I was looking at the Olympedia uh, bio for him, and they just say that he was an unusual character. Yeah, d- Don't explain it. Do they just
1: mean he was Finnish? Like, I mean...
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, that that would that's really in keeping with Olympopod and the, the tales of the Finns we've had so far. He was uh, fiercely proud of his competitive record, and he was apparently always slightly upset, only slightly upset, at not being accorded the same honours as his fellow Finn, the legendary runner Paavo Nermi. So, yeah, uh, the... Bravo Nermi on ice, but not loved as much. Um, yeah, I really am intrigued to know what was so unusual about him besides him being finished.
1: Mm. Uh, women, of course, they were allowed to participate in uh, the Winter Games, because of course they could in the Summer Games. They had already been represented at the first skating event in London 1908. But the IOC put their foot down when it came to women in any other events. Uh, since they felt endurance events could affect the ladies' childbearing
0: abilities. Uh, where have we heard that before? Mmm. <laughs> Monsieur
1: Lapierre. <Le>
0: <laughs> they were they were competing in the figure skating, right? Only they, they uh, were, and there was a, an early glimpse into uh, a future superstar, the first superstar of women's figure skating, and uh, that was Sonja Henie from Norway and she was just 11 years old when she made her olympic debut and ended up finishing last in uh, of 8 in the figure skating competition she would improve to fifth a few weeks later at the world championship and then 4 years later would win a gold medal and would win two more gold medals in 32 and 36 and um, do
1: you know why she came last
0: was it because sh- her figures were not accurate enough?
1: No, she um she had to keep on skating back to her teacher to ask her what to do next. Oh, so, no way. so she'd go and she'd do she'd do um a trick and then she'd skate over. was like, okay, what's next?
0: Oh, that's so
1: cute.
0: Uh, well. And well.
1: She- She'd go on to be a huge movie star, which we love in the pods.
0: Yeah, it was the style at the time. What was she in?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Ruth! <laughs>
1: she wasn't in Tarzan, so I okay. just stopped. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't for me, I didn't.
0: <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, okay.
1: But there were a couple of controversies in the figure skating. Tell me. Well, the first small controversy to mention is that Canada's Cecil Smith and Melville Rogers were assumed by the observing French journalists to have won gold, basing this entirely by the size of cheers from the crowd. Uh, so they went off and they started reporting that these Canadians had won gold. But unfortunately, Chris, that's not how points are calculated. And they had, in fact, placed seventh of eight. Um <laughs> So there had to be a few retractions in the papers. Uh, The event was won by Austria's Helene Engelmann and Alfred Berger. Uh, Finland's Ludvika and Walter Jakobsen took silver. And bronze went to the French power couple, Andrea Jolie and Pierre Brunet. That was the huge controversy, Chris, because everyone was pretty much in agreement that they were by far the best. Uh, They'd been credited... Uh, With being the first true revolutionaries of pairs figure skating, they came up with mere skating, they had jumps, lifts, spins, but the judges in Chamonix uh, just thought that this was all too showy, that it was just a bit too difficult and there were just too many tricks. So they were relegated to third, (laughs) Uh, but they would leave a profound mark on the other skaters and their style would become the norm in time for Samuritz in 1928 where spoiler alert they took gold.
0: Mm. And looking at the uh <laughs> I'm going to going to refer to the film every now and then because you know this is our only real first hand visible uh experience of these games. The only um I only saw when it come to or well, sorry when it comes to the competition itself Sixty percent of the final score was the compulsory figures, which I think we definitely need to talk about because that is quite literally people having to create figures by skating.
1: Figure skating, Chris.
0: Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but not it's in, in the g- name. No true. I know it's in the name, but we're <laughs> I'm pretty sure not everyone listening to this would know that figure skating actually meant creating figures in the ice. Would what would skate? be
1: impressive what would be impressive is if they did some basic maths? Yes, on the rink.
0: Uh, that would be. Um, having
1: to solve math and uh, skate at the same time.
0: And I was really looking forward to seeing some figure skating part. They only showed the free skating program in the film so I was, I was looking forward to seeing some you know uh, rectangles being drawn in the ice but unfortunately it only showed us the judges looking at the marks being left on the ice mm-hmm. and and uh, judging whether they the compulsory figures were correctly done so sad
1: gold in the women's uh, individual was won by won by austria's herma zabo her mother Christina Von Zabo had been a two-time world medalist in pairs figure skating. And her uncle was also a figure skater, an engineer, and a cyclist. And there's a really good picture of him on a penny farthing, which I will put up onto the Twitter. Uh, She came to the 1924 Winter Olympics in a short skirt.
0: (sighs) Yep. The silence is pure shock.
1: I know, I know. Now, uh, even though Sonia Henney is credited with being the first to wear short skirts
0: in competition. Okay. Mm.
1: The the person who was doing it uh, was her Sabo. But actually, another uh, costume drama, uh, Jolie and Brunet, uh, Andrea Jolie was uh, credited with being one of the first to wear a black dress during her routine to match her partners. Before then, uh, women had to wear white dresses. It was, wow. it was more ladylike.
0: I love these huge uh, steps forward that being uh, credited. <laughs> and that this yeah. is a thing. Yeah. yeah, anything else on the figure skating that you enjoyed or any other controversies you found?
1: Well, as I said, uh, Sabo uh, won the gold in 1924 in the singles, but she'd... Uh, retire in 27 when she was defeated by Sonja oh. um because the, there were five judges this was the world championships there were five judges three Norwegian uh, one German and one Austrian the Norwegians all push the Norwegian first um, and the Germans and the Austrians put Sabo first and she just decided that uh, she was disillusioned with the games and never competed again.
0: Oh, so we, we were denied a huge rivalry through the late 20s and early 30s between Zabo and Henya.
1: Yeah, now, I've just realized that I've lied because she did turn up to the 1928 <laughs> games. <laughs> but she didn't win, and then she stopped. <laughs> yeah.
0: She may as well have stayed home.
1: Yeah, Henny had offered her a rematch years later. But uh, she refused to participate, which fair enough. Like if you were retired, it'd just be like, Do you know, it's, it's Grant. I'm
0: just not gonna, I'm not gonna bother. Thanks. Well, it's good that we got this uh, this figure skating controversy between two women out of the way early in the Olympics. <laughs> <And> we'll never <laughs> have to speak th- about those again. Nope. <laughs> so um, ice hockey, that was a fun thing to watch, and yeah. uh, it was uh, well. Before I go into it. Uh, I just have to say, I love in the opening ceremony where as they paraded through the streets streets of Chamonix, they brought their equipment with them, all of them. So you had guys there with curling brooms over their shoulders, their ice hockey sticks, their skis and sleds. I guess the, the uh, bobsleigh guys, or at least some of them, brought their sleds with them. And uh, yeah, it was just like, yeah, this is what I do. Uh, so, yeah, they t- take through the streets, but the ice hockey, the physicality without the pads was great to see. Um, and also the camera not really being able to keep up with the speed of the game, often as uh, they were showing the highlights from the uh, game between the Canadians and the Americans. Uh, you could see they're going down towards one of the goal, but the camera was just not keeping up with it and uh, you wouldn't actually see uh, what happened. You know who else didn't see what happened? The crowd. Because yeah. on one side, they were seated, I would guess, about 50 meters away from the, the rink.
1: It's so, a dangerous game, Chris.
0: But I, what I loved is that it was a huge crowd. But they were so far away. There was like an entire ice rink uh, between them and where they were playing And there was also some nice shots of people uh, Hanging on trees Who decided that was the way To watch the action hmm. uh, And in the in the Ice hockey, uh, I believe it was uh, Absolutely a one-sided Affair throughout As Canada basically uh, thrashed Everyone uh, They beat Czechoslovakia 30-0 Sweden 22-0 And Switzerland 33-0 And uh, it was the Toronto Granites, the team that represented them on their way to uh, the gold. And um, they were the last to successfully defend their Summer Olympics title at the Winter Olympics. You get me?
1: I do. I do. (laughs) Okay. I do indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, well, well, there was somebody else here who also did that.
0: There was, yeah. Do do we do you know who it is? Yeah, I do.
1: Yeah, I've got a big piece on.
0: Oh, tell me about. Oh, no, I
1: I'm not going to tell you yeah. about, but anyway, okay. <gasps> what? What? So let me. Who was the other one? No, I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm gonna. I have a.
0: You you had a perfect have... segue yeah, there. Yeah, I know,
1: but I have to. I have to go back a little bit. <laughs> if I... the segue works, the segue works. Anyway, okay. uh, Norway's Jakob Tullen Thams won gold in Chamonix in the ski jumping. And he would return to the Games in Berlin 1936 to take silver in sailing. He's one of only 139 athletes to have competed in both Summer and Olympic Games. And only one of six to have medals in both. Which brings us to the back-to-back. Because another member of that select group of double medalists at these Games was Sweden's Gilles Grafström. Who successfully retained his summer figure skating gold from 1920. Um, at this 1924 winter event. Now, this was also the first time, retrospectively, that athletes could compete in two Olympics in one year, something that was done by four men. Finland's Vino Burmer took silver in the team military patrol in Chamonix and would go on to represent his country again a few months later in Paris in the pentathlon. His compatriot, Anton Johannes Collin came 16th in the 18-kilometre cross-country skiing but did not finish his 50 kilometer event in Paris. He withdrew from the 188 kilometer cycle. Robert Plume from Latvia was another cross country cum cycling enthusiast. And finally, Switzerland's Charles Stoffel represented his nation in the bobsleigh event in Chamonix and on a horse in Paris.
0: Nice. With uh, Jakob, oh, whatever, so I was going can I go back to Jakob Thams and the Norwegian jumpers? You can. Just going back to uh, Thams and the Norwegian jumpers because, well, in jumping and cross-country skiing, they absolutely uh, swept. Well, they quite literally swept the podium a couple of times in the cross-country skiing and the Nordic combined. And the person to win both of those was uh, Thorleif Haug. He also uh, competed in the ski jumping and finished in third place originally <gasps> but a whole 50 years later the final individual medal of chamonix 1924 was presented because uh, Thorleif haug was originally in third place but there was a clerical error ruth
1: someone didn't have their calculator
0: No, and his uh, score was discovered in 1974 by a skiing historian called Jakob Wege, who determined that it was actually Anders Haugen from the USA who uh, actually scored higher than him. He was originally in fourth place, but he had scored more. This was verified by the IOC. And Haug's daughter presented the bronze medal to an 86-year-old Haugen, who uh, at the time actually jumped the longest in the uh, in the what is it called downhill? What the jump? Ski jump. Ski jump. <laughs> <laughs> who'd, 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 who had jumped longest? What's this? But...
1: Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics. Ski yeah, jump. Sir.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had jumped longest, but was detracted for his poor style marks. Aww. And a thing on that is that really there was no style. You just had to go super super straight. Both skis had to be. Uh, straight there was no the uh, style which i'm pretty sure we'll come to in a future olympopod when that is revolutionized but then it was all about going very straight and again i think we'll mention this a few times if it looks terrifying now just imagine how terrifying it looks in 1924 Uh, it really (laughs) is looks so well it looks so painful for those who fall and i really liked in the film that in this and in the bobsleigh they they cut at one point to a, a caption where in the ski jumping it says a spill <laughs> although although distinctly dangerous only one bad accident took place an american breaking both legs <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry and, I'm not laughing at his pain but yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, in the the bobsleigh then it was the Swiss second team had to pull up after a spill in which one man broke both legs <laughs> <laughs> so I love how how identical both of these spills were in that a man not named in either case, broke both legs.
1: Oops a daisy. Someone's <laughs> lost <What>? a head.
0: <laughs> He'll have to be euthanized. Oh well. Oh dear. Anyway,
1: we shouldn't um, we shouldn't feel too bad for uh Thorleaf Hog ha- because he did also get two gold medals in the eighteen kilometers and fifteen kilometers.
0: Oh yeah, yes. he won the and yeah and another one. He, and, he the got and the combined. Yeah. and
1: the combines, yeah yeah, 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 So
0: he he was a triple gold yeah. medalist, and, and he was
1: uh, dead by the time his medal got taken away from him.
0: Yeah, so at forty, um, but he won the fifty-kilometer event, which uh, in modern cross-country skiing, I have watched a few times. I have to say, uh, particularly in the last year, because it is a big, big deal in Scandinavia, but it's. It, you know, it's, it's quite a watch. You know, It's usually about somewhere between an hour, 45, and two hours, the 50-kilometer ski. So you can imagine how, just how long it took in 1924. And Thorleaf Haug won it in three hours, 44 minutes, and 32 seconds, which is actually quicker than uh, some of the uh, the events to come in the near olympopod future but yeah i think it, it, the winter game shows more so than the summer games just how far the uh, i guess the technology and the technique come in terms of the difference between times and lengths from the athletes uh, nowadays contemporary athletes and those in the the first winter games
1: i'm not trying to cast any aspersions on haug or any other of his uh any other athletes in the event but you know not many cameras around would it be easy to cheat chris in a fifth over 50 kilometers
0: you know very good very good question ruth and if i'm not mistaken i think there was something around 3200 flags leading them uh on the way so they they knew exactly where they were supposed to be going and there were checks at various points okay. so they had to check in and say yes it's me at different points along the course okay. so back then they did have that in mind yeah.
1: okay that's fine that's fine well then um, we we should move on to military patrol stay on the slopes
0: yes tell me about the military patrol
1: it was a biathlon Chris
0: I thought it was a triathlon it
1: was that's what I'm saying it wasn't a biathlon
0: oh I just, it, it was a biathlon Chris <laughs> <laughs> sorry do you want to try that again <laughs> no <laughs> 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 was it a pentathlon? No. Oh. Um,
1: yeah. So okay. What? What? What was it? A
0: team Winter spo- <laughs> Military Patrol was a team winter sport.
1: Yeah. Team winter sports. Yeah.
0: The athletes competed in cross country skiing, ski mountaineering, and rifle shooting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it was contested between military units from different uh, countries. Yeah. And yeah, it was twenty five kilometer cross country skiing. Rifle shooting, and I don't know how long, I guess the mountaineering depended. Yeah, with, <laughs> on how tall. Somewhere between, yeah, <laughs> but to, somewhere between 500 and 1200 meters. And the rules were very similar to modern biathlon.
1: Yeah. There were six uh, countries competing. Uh, Switzerland took gold, Finland silver, France bronze, um, Czechoslovakia came fourth, and then Italy and Poland withdrew because of bad conditions. I just sort of feel, you know, you can't withdraw in a war. Like, the, these these soldiers withdrawing, withdrawing yeah, for yeah. bad conditions. Come on. But...
0: Maybe, maybe uh, not so funny to joke about the Italians and the Poles during this time.
1: Yeah, well, okay, by <laughs> But, but <laughs> on a lighter note, I discovered that um, the title given to Italian mountain, Soldiers is alpino, mm. and one of the members of the military uh, team from Ishly was called albino. So he was alpino albino,
0: albino the alpino. Yeah, lovely, lovely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what else have we? Uh, what else? I think we're actually going to get through all of the sports here in one way or another. Yeah, uh, which is pretty good oh, going.
1: Well, I know nothing about the curling. Do you know anything about the oh, curling?
0: <laughs> sure do. Curling, <laughs> curling was actually a bit of a controversy uh, in its own way because it was not until 2006 that the IOC actually upgraded the golds that were won in 1924 from a demonstration medal to an official medal. So for some reason, everyone thought that curling was a demonstration sport, I guess in the same way that everyone who wasn't uh, the French thought it wasn't actually an Olympic Games at the time, and uh, particularly the Norwegians. So the IOC agreed to look into it after the Glasgow Herald filed a claim on behalf of the families of the team that won, which was an all-Scottish lineup comprised of father and son, Willie and Lawrence Jackson, Robin Welsh, and... Tom Murray they hammered Sweden 38-7 and France 46-4 in the outdoor matches which lasted 18 ends Uh, they actually weren't allowed to defend their title though because curling was then removed from the games or wasn't technically in the games until 1998
1: what were they doing what were they doing? I'm not like, sure I want
0: to do these anymore. If curling's not going to be in it until 1998,
1: like curling is the reason we watch the Winter Olympics. Like,
0: <laughs> uh, by the end of by the end of this, by the the time the Winter Olympics come around, we'll be in love with all of the sports. That's yeah, why we're doing okay. them. Don't worry, sure. listeners. <laughs> so yeah, there's a little bit on the curling for you.
1: Good God, have we have we? We have. We've, oh. we've done every single sport. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, in the bobsleigh, though, mm. uh, six weeks after taking bronze for Belgium in the four-man bobsleigh, Charles Mulder got a second bronze for his country in the European Ice Hockey Championships because there were no Americans or Canadians there. So, oh,
0: there
1: yeah. We. Uh, easier, was, easier.
0: Is that because it was called the European Championship? <laughs>
1: yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's called the Eurovision, Chris. You know, it's not. Doesn't necessarily follow.
0: <laughs>
1: well, I suppose there is one sport we haven't mentioned because at the closing ceremony, Charles uh. Granville Bruce received a medal for mountaineering for uh, unsuccessfully going well, to Everest.
0: <laughs> was. Was this actually India's one and only winter gold medal, Ruth? Because the uh, yes, it was. There was a prize for alpinism or mountaineering awarded to Charles Granville Bruce, and each of the it says each of the thirteen participants. I don't know if that's remaining participants, those who uh, survived or were European. Um, how many of them survived? I don't know. Uh, They were all presented with a silver medal with gold overlay. But our friends over at Olympedia uh, recognize this as a mixed team event and therefore have recognized four countries as having won gold for this. Australia, Great Britain, Nepal and India. Ah, So if it's good enough for Olympedia, it's good enough for us. And India actually won a winter gold medal, which they haven't done since.
1: Uh, This is also the second time on Olympopods. Last time was in a summer one where we've mentioned someone getting an Olympic medal for not climbing Everest.
0: It sure was. And uh, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened to that, you're going to have to find it. Do you remember which one it was? I don't.
1: No, no, I don't either. So please listeners, listen back to every single Olympopod and tell us which Olympics that was. and who was it that won as as i recall things got very heated when i said that that i could just win stuff for not
0: doing stuff for not doing it mm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh anything else we should, we should i think
1: on? i i don't know i feel like we've um Managed to alienate a normal number of either sports countries or people so that seems a success in the olympopods books.
0: it sure it does
1: what would you what would you have liked to have competed in
0: um not the bobsleigh not the that, bobsleigh. like uh, i don't think i've actually said just how terrifying it actually looks and <laughs> it's I think in one of the cases, it could have been in the Swiss second team where they had one man who broke both legs. It was just like two two separate kind of uh, cores of the sled connected by pieces of wood. And then those driving them actually had like a car wheel driving it. And the, it just, like, the whole thing looked terrifying. Also, the fact that the the, uh, the, the spectators were incredibly close to it as well. <laughs> and there wasn't any real barriers. It was just, like, deep mounds of snow, uh, like, built up into banks. And that was the course. So not bobsleigh, not ski jumping, a curling, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that, that would have been my jam. Uh, y- you know, watching... The cross-country skiing, they do. Some of the athletes do look a little bit like my first attempt of cross-country <laughs> skiing, which happened earlier this year. Which, by the way, I, I really liked, but it was terrible going downhill. I just can't go downhill. Uh, I, I do go downhill, but also down on the snow. But yeah, they looked equally awkward. um So maybe give me a few years of training, and I might have been able to compete in nineteen twenty four. Uh, but, yeah, so the curling for now, cross-country skiing in the future.
1: Yeah, I could have only gone into the ice skating. Um,
0: the figure skating. Figure I, I'm skating, sure sorry. I'm sure figure you would skating. make some very nice figures, Ruth. What, yeah. What's your favorite figure to make in the ice?
1: Um, 14.
0: 14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, I, one of the things that's quite, great about uh a lot of the winter sports is that they're very practical like I have to get over this snowy mountain okay I'm going to have to ski you know like it is very pure in that sense I do kind of wonder like you were talking about the bobsleigh like why did that happen who was the person who like picked up a skeleton and was like let's see how fast I can go and if, I, if you can go faster than me and I know it's a very human instinct to see you can go faster but like you're purposely, like, you've decided to create a sport just around whether or not you survive or something or not. I admire it. Don't get me wrong. I admire it. I'm just asking the question how did this come about? Boredom? Oh, yeah, I suppose we're in.
0: Uh, Rich men being bored.
1: Yeah, okay. You know. hmm.
0: What are you searching there on the internet?
1: <laughs> Bobsley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for the. Are you looking for the the very first bobbing?
1: Oh, Chris! <laughs> uh, Bobsling, its foundation began when hotelier Caspar Badrut convinced some wealthy English regulars to remain through the entire winter at his hotel in the mineral spa town of Samoritz, Switzerland. Uh, he had been frustrated that his hotel was only busy during the summer months. By keeping his guests entertained with food, alcohol, and activity, he quickly established the concept of winter resorting. Amazing. <laughs> um, oh I got this Wikipedia article just keeps on getting better uh, so by the 1870s some adventurous Englishmen began adapting boys delivery sleds for recreational purposes because of course they did however they began colliding with pedestrians in the icy lanes alleyways <laughs> and roads of St. this led to the invention of steering means for the sleds
0: amazing
1: No, so they then had the steering which was all great but they were still getting complaints from the locals getting knocked down by the skeletons and uh, bobsleds so um, Badra took action he didn't want to make enemies in the town and he he uh, built the first <laughs> is that what it says Suse? what?
0: <laughs> the first what?
1: and so he uh, his solution was then just he built the first natural ice run Outside mm. the town, um, yeah. I am now. I, I can't believe I didn't research that for an actual, <laughs> an actual segment because that was brilliant. Yeah,
0: but yeah, and uh, it was spot on. Rich people being bored. Yeah. in the winter, and <laughs>
1: I, I gotta I gotta research more of these sports for the next Olympic <laughs> podcast. That's,
0: that's a great idea, Ruth. <laughs> 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 uh, and maybe I,
1: I, th- maybe there's other interesting stories about the winter olympics <laughs> uh,
0: seeing as you're going to be doing some research into bobsledding now more that now that you've fallen in love with it and i'm pretty sure that was the one that you really wrote off at the beginning of this podcast so it's amazing to see your transformation in the past 40 minutes or so <laughs> but there is a big um there's a big mystery i've discovered from the film and that mm-hmm. was at the beginning of one of the runs in the bobsleigh, there was a group of men wearing jumpers with what appears to be, and I find it difficult to imagine it's not, a shamrock on it.
1: Yeah, it has and to I, be Team USA. has
0: to be. I, I, well, you say that, but there was no Team USA what? in the bobsleigh. So here are the, here are the participants. There was Switzerland, who won gold, uh, Great Britain's second team that won silver, Belgium... Mm-hmm bronze then there was france their second team great britain's first team italy france one italy two and switzerland two so they're all european so i would have thought yeah america or canada as well but neither and uh, yeah so that if anyone knows why there were some bobsledders or people group of people standing behind bobsledders wearing shamrocks then let us know
1: let us know Yeah. Uh, but you did, uh, since we're on the subject there, Chris, you, you mentioned the uh, first Indian medal. Um, Ralph Broom, representing Great Britain uh, in that second place bobsleigh, was born in India. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yes. I, I like as. A fellow colonized country, you take what you're given, you know. <laughs> when it comes to Olympic medals, just just take them all if you can.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, anything else here? Like, there is nothing else, right? That so is we're good, everything.
1: that, that is, We literally did everything. But Chris... Next time on the Olympopod, which it's going to be sooner than in six weeks' time. It might even be next week. It might even be next week. Uh, We're going to the spiritual home of the bobsleigh, Samuritz.
0: Amazing. What are the chances?
1: What what are the chances? An
0: unexpected segue you landed upon there.
1: (laughs) And I going to learn a lot more about uh, these unruly English.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Look forward to it, Ruth. Take us away.
1: I think that was it, Chris. I think that was the take it away. I think we've sled past it. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't do that.
0: so we're on the same page before we start recording the, the name the name of the place is Chamonix it is yeah okay good <laughs> should, should we just should, should we welcome just to Chamonix
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just go for the entire uh, episodes, calling it Chamonix 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 and see if uh, anyone calls us up on it <laughs> <laughs>